What's up? This is All Up In Your Biz, and I am here with a neuroscientist, Anne-Sophie Fleury, and I am so excited. I am like, I am actually like a child because I am finally able to get people on the podcast to talk about the science that backs up manifestation, and I can just tell people, hey, it's not this wishy-washy, woo-woo, tree-hugging, magic, vision-boarding, visualizing, click-your-fingers-it's-gonna-happen sort of stuff. So thank you so much for coming. And Sophie, I would love if you just introduce yourself and tell us like how you became a neuroscientist and what it actually means to be a neuroscientist. First of all, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Yvonne. I'm so happy to be here as well. I've been following your posts on LinkedIn for for a while now, and I'm just so glad that we had the chance to connect and actually do something like this. Um, My name is Anne-Sophie Fleury. I am from Switzerland originally. Um, My journey into neuroscience is actually, I think, quite relevant to to this podcast. I grew up with a lot of self-doubt. You know, I've been told I was lazy. I wasn't going to achieve anything. My teachers never really believed in me. I, you know, I was never hanging out with the smart kids in school. Um, I was a dancer, so I kind of prioritized that a lot. Um, I just didn't really think that I would achieve the things that I've been told that I should achieve, you know, going to university having a good job, earning money. Um, it just didn't seem like, you know, it just didn't seem possible for, for me for a long time. And I remember when I was 14, 15, I went to Thailand for the first time and I traveled with my friend. It was just the two of us for a while. And we went up to this Buddhist monastery that was in the mountain. So they were completely away from everyone else. And they just lived up there in these caves. And I learned about how, you know, they lived their life. And I remember thinking, this is so wonderful. You know, it it just seemed oddly beautiful to me to be so far removed from everyone else, to, you know, rid yourself of your hair and your belongings. And just, you know, what they said was you're born alone and you die alone. And that might sound quite quite dark and deep but you know at the time it just really resonated with me and I remember at that moment making the decision if I don't get into university this is where I'm going to come this is what I'm going to do I'm going to be a monk and a few years later down the line down the line I I got into university um, to study psychology and it wasn't I mean I was there I was kind of surviving right I didn't really enjoy it so much I still you know I was still quite depressed and just didn't really believe in myself I don't really know how I got there it was a great university and I kind of just got in by chance still didn't feel like I earned it and I went to a lecture it was the first lecture that I had on neuroscience and I remember learning about a study where they put monks into an MRI machine and you could really see what was going on in their brain. And at that moment, everything fell into place for me. It was like neuroscience is what I'm doing. And 
I've known about meditation for so long and this was just the push that I needed. So from then on, I started meditating because I could see what's happening in the brain. And yeah, it's a far cry from, you know, who I am today is a far cry from the person that I was back then. I'm I'm really happy. I'm positive. I believe in myself. I am excited about my life, excited about my future. And yeah, it's that's that's where it all started. If you want to manifest your dream life, then what are you waiting for? Pause Penny has created an amazing manifestation box to help you manifest your dreams. It is backed by neuroscience. Seven simple steps. And the box tells you how to do it all. Grab your manifestation box at pausepenny.com and use the code PODCAST20 for 20% off. And I think it's so amazing that you had this experience in Thailand with the monks and then all of a sudden your first lecture in neuroscience like goes back to that monk, you know, and the meditation. And sometimes I think with manifestation, I'm like, I don't know how it's happened. Is it just a coincidence or is there more? So for for me, I would be like as like the manifester, I'd be like, that's a sign. It's a total sign that I am on the right track with neuroscience. I just know it because I was with the monks and I was like, this is where I'm going to be. And do you believe that there are coincidences or do you think there's some power there and it that actually happened? It was supposed to happen that way. It's a sign. Or what are your thoughts on that? Or do you just think, no, that's just the way it works? <laughs> I think looking back at it now... It's so nice to make that connection. And, you know, it's it's such a nice story and it really makes sense um, at the time. And I think this is also due to the mindset that I had then. It wasn't like, oh, my God, wonderful. All of a sudden, everything is working out for me. It was like, yeah, I remember this. And and it was just it was more I think I'm just like a lot of people are. I need evidence. Um, so. I knew about meditation, you know, they told me about it. I I know I knew that, you know, it had benefits. I knew that it was becoming more and more mainstream, but it wasn't until I learned the science behind it that I was able to meditate because it was like, okay, this is actually what you're doing. It's not about, you know, nothingness and not having any thoughts. It's actually training and rewiring your brain to become happier and to become more, you know, at peace with yourself and to become more trusting and to see things in a different way, to know yourself better. I mean, all of these benefits to become more creative even. And and once I was able to put that into motion and to see the effects for myself, then my mindset changed and then I became happier and I overcame my depression and I overcame so many things that were holding me back in life that now I look at it and I'm like, yes, this was there was something there. But at the time, because of the mindset, it just it was lost on me. And you talk about which I think is a really important thing. And it's so important for me because I've got four small kids. And you talk about how when you were growing up, like your teachers made you feel like you were you were not worthy, right? And maybe this spiraled you into like, some form of depression or not being able to achieve or whatever else happened in your life. And we know that like, 
the prefrontal cortex with kids. It's not really fully developed until they're 25, right? Well, uh, up and around there, and I'm taking this data from Dr. Amon, the leading psychiatrist in brains. So, um, so how do you, with neuroscience, reverse something like that when we our our thoughts, our feelings, and our beliefs are so tied to the way we're brought up as kids, to what we hear from our teachers, to what we hear from our parents. How do you rewire that brain? And can you to change it to this, you know, self-worth, belief, and positivity? If you are a child, or you even if you have a if you if you're a parent if if you were advising a parent who has a child that maybe doesn't have that confidence, or just a person that was in your shoes, how do you do that with neuroscience science? So especially at a young age, our brains are so impressionable, and like you said, your prefrontal cortex hasn't really developed. And for some people, especially with ADHD, that could be until they're thirty-five, even. <laughs> Uh, so it, it yeah it really depends on the person but the brain doesn't have a filter at that point when you're younger you look up to your elders and the people around you that you trust who seem more knowledgeable than you to tell you what the truth is and so if you hear that you're not capable of doing something that you're not smart whatever it is then you're much more likely you don't have the filter to to actually critically analyze that belief and that becomes ingrained and that becomes a part of you and it's not just when you're younger when you're older especially with repetition that's what happens the information that is most salient that you hear the most becomes the most true and that's exactly the mechanism that you can then use to undo a lot of those self-limiting beliefs so you can do that with positive affirmations. You can do that through therapy. You can do that with, you know, just really analyzing what where those beliefs are stemming from and challenging them. So doing something that you didn't think that you could achieve to prove yourself wrong or, you know, just challenging it in the way that you speak to yourself or the way that you speak about yourself. I would never dream of saying something like I'm not capable or I'm I'm lazy or I'm not smart to myself or to anyone around me because I know the effects that that has on someone. So I think positive affirmations are, are a really, really powerful way to, to start to undo that. And with positive affirmations, so I do three affirmations every day on my Instagram stories and they're, they depend on whatever I feel. Like let's say let's say right now I'm like trying to make more sales in the business and, and all of that. And I'm like, oh gosh, this is, you know, it's tough. It's a little bit more tough to be an entrepreneur than it is a lawyer, especially when you're starting out. But I, I say to myself, like, everything always works out for me. I trust the timing of my life. I surrender and let go. Does it still work if you're kind of forcing yourself to believe that? If it's repeated, like, does it, do they, how, how do affirmations actually work? I think that's such an interesting point that you make there because a lot of the pushback that I hear as well when I speak to my friends or colleagues about this is that they feel like they're lying to themselves if they were to say, I am successful, I'm a millionaire, I'm, you know, I run a six-figure business, whatever it is. And 
there are i mean i do understand that because i'm the same you can't just go from zero to 100 because if you have that doubt then the positive affirmations aren't really going to have the effect that you're hoping for them to have because actually what you're focusing on is not the positive affirmation and the goal setting that's required to get there you're focusing on the the self-doubt and so if you keep affirming something that actually keeps you know bringing that doubt further and further and like front to mind then then i can see why that might not work but there are ways to get around that so you know instead of saying i'm gonna earn so and so much six million dollars this year you can start by saying i allow abundance in my life and just you know changing the benchmark from absolute to something that's just maybe more welcoming something into your life um you know if if you don't feel comfortable saying i am beautiful then how about i feel beautiful or i will allow myself to feel beautiful today and just slowly you know working on those limiting beliefs and and undoing them until those become second nature until you know, you've said them so many times that they become real and your brain is perceiving them as true. And then just, you know, taking it up further and further. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because like even you don't have to say like, I am abundant and a money magnet. You can say like, I am capable of achieving great things. You know, I am worthy. Mm -hmm. I am worthy of this. I am confident. And you just tell yourself the little things and then over time and over time, they just actually add up. It's definitely something that I, I do with my kids. I, I actually love doing affirmations and practicing gratitude. I think it's definitely a good way to start building resilience. And I really do believe that kids need resilience these days, especially with like social media and all of that. But I want to ask you this question. So manifestation to me is aligning our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. Knowing that you can achieve anything when you believe it and you take action and you go for it. So for me, it's almost like you could, you can call it manifesting, you can call it goal setting, you can call it being a go-getter. But what's key for me is your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs, and your actions are aligned with what you're doing. So it's not like putting up a vision board and visualizing and saying, you know, I'm going to make a six-figure company or I'm going to make X amount of sales. What, to a neuroscientist, what does manifestation mean to you? And do you start getting annoyed with these people just talking about, I manifest this and manifest that, and you're like, oh my God, you're just throwing the word around here like a crazy loon. <laughs> I I think there are definitely people for who need, you know, the it's a spectrum and you have people who need something a little bit more magical and a bit more spiritual. For me as a neuroscientist, I, you know, I'm, I'm more on the other side of, of that spectrum. And I think uh, the key point that you're making, what, what you're saying manifestation means to you, you've outlined some really important factors there, which is the attention and then the action that follows there. So I don't believe that you can just speak something into existence. I have a complicated relationship with manifestation because there is a lot of um, 
there yeah there are a lot of people who speak about it as you know they can they can just think something they can think they're going to become a millionaire and then that's enough for it to happen and yeah i i mean i haven't seen any evidence <laughs> for that so therefore i'm not inclined to believe that um i see it more as a, a really effective way to goal set yeah. um and that's because manifesting something it's usually related to a, a goal that's meaningful to you in in some way um like you said with your beliefs your values and your thoughts so you can't just manifest anything i don't i don't think you wake up one day and you're like today i'm going to manifest um i'm going to you know find 100 dollars on the floor and tomorrow i'm going to manifest that i'm going to lose 5 pounds and then the day after that i'm going to manifest you know i'm going to buy a new car i think manifestation when it is related to something meaningful and of value to you then it's a clear goal and something that you're committing to working on over time and manifestation helps you set that goal into focus every day every morning or however you choose to manifest whether that's a uh, a board or through your words and affirmations or you know a number of the other techniques and i know that you post many different creative ways and i think that's also really important because people are you know learn different ways visually by hearing by saying by doing um so if you're using manifestation to set a goal, then it's really effective because it reminds you to go after that goal and it reminds you to take action to achieve that goal. And I think a lot of the time it makes me think of um, New Year's resolutions. You know, you enter the new year, people have a long list of goals, things that they want to achieve. And they're just kind of loose goals, something that maybe everybody wants to do, a new job, a new relationship, a new partner, a new house, a new car, whatever, whatever it is, being healthier. And they're just broad goals that anybody would, you know, probably like like to have or it's something that you've thought about for a long time, but you've never taken action. And that's the key there. You're you have a loose goal. You don't um, you don't goal set every day. You're not taking one big thing or one theme and figuring out how you're going to every day get closer to that. Totally. I totally agree with that. And that's why like in the manifestation box that I created, right, there's seven steps and it's what do you want? Why do you want? What do you see, hear and feel? So that's your visualization. And then card number six is your actions card. So like mm -hmm. write down what actions are you going to take every day to achieve your goal? But Sometimes I do wonder, are there things that we can manifest and it just seems totally crazy? So I'll, like my story was I had had three miscarriages before I had my son. And then I was like, that's it. I'm going to have twins. I'm going to have two boys and I'm going to have them at Christmas. I used to saying all I want for Christmas is two babies, right? I got pregnant with a little boy, so no twins. Then I got pregnant with a girl and she passed away during pregnancy at 21 weeks. Then I had another little girl and I was done. I was like, I'm done. I've got two, like two and done. And I'm happy. I've set up pause penny. And then I got pregnant. We said we'd have go for a third. I got pregnant. It was twins. It was two boys. And I was due in January of 2023. But I had them 
on Christmas Eve, like the day before Christmas Day. And way back in 2016, 2017, I've proof of people like a colleague wrote me a letter saying, dear God, like, please help Yvonne let go of her want to have twins. My husband says it. I used to sing around the house. I want twins. I used to visualize a scan with two sacks. I used to visualize what the doctor would say to me. Um, oh, wow, there's two there. Literally, it played out step by step by step exactly how it was in my mind. And I'm wondering, is that just a coincidence? Or are there some sort of vibrational things there? Or would you as a neuroscientist be like, coincidence for me? Because like, there's a lot of coincidences there. Twins, two boys at Christmas. Like, how do you explain that? First of all, I want to congratulate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, whether whether you know that's luck or manifestation, it's 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 huge, especially after what you've been through. Um, my my first reaction would be, you know, I'm curious to know the history of twins, like in your family, right? Because. Yeah. So effectively, I didn't know this, but there are twins on my dad's side of the family. But my dad is one of 12. Every single one of his siblings, bar one, have three to four kids. I am the only person that had twins, naturally. So I didn't have IVF. I had twins naturally. So I know I didn't know at the time it was in my family. But I'm the only one out of all, like I could have 50 cousins on my on my dad's side and I'm the only one. How is it that it happened to me? And maybe you just say, I can't explain it. I mean, I can't explain that, of course. I, But I'm curious to know if how that experience has changed how you feel about manifestation, if it's brought you more onto the spiritual side of things, if it's made you believe in it more that that anything, even, you know, something biologically. Yeah, what I believe now is after that had happened, I believe that manifestation is your thoughts, feelings, beliefs, like I said, they're aligned, it's goal setting. Like if I say I'm going to be in a top law firm, that's what I got. I said I was going to be the company secretary of a public company. That's what I got. I'm going to have a white Mercedes, but that's somewhat in my control, right? Mm -hmm. Somewhat in my in my control because you take action to go and achieve your goal. But I say this even at my workshops. I cannot explain this. I cannot explain that my thoughts, feelings, beliefs, my visualizations created these twins. So I do believe there is something more. And I know that Dr. Tara Swartz, um, talked about, and she's a neuroscientist as well, talked about putting up, um, she wanted to meet her soulmate and she had a plane on her vision board. And then she met her soulmate while traveling in a plane. So she's talking about the vision board, right? And then also Huberman, Andrew Huberman recently in one of his podcasts said that he prays. He prays to God. And I'm Catholic. I also pray and I believe there's something more. So maybe it can't be explained by neuroscientists, neuroscience, but there is something. There has to be because I don't believe that there can be so many coincidences. And I do believe maybe it is that it's just something more and maybe that's just the answer. But I do believe 
if you believe yourself that it can happen, if you visualize and you take action and you keep that vibration high, whether it's practicing gratitude, saying affirmations, knowing you're going to get there, then I believe that almost anything is possible. I think that's such a beautiful mindset um, that you have there because especially with that example, you're you're showing that you can manifest something that biologically, you know, you have limited control over. And that's another level of self-belief that I feel like a lot of people, they would struggle to get to that point. And what, what would you do, like, as a neuroscientist, if you had somebody now that's, you know, starting out, I see it on LinkedIn all the time, you know, there's so much, like, you know, fights for, not fights, but like, you know, ghostwriters and they want to get business. And there's, I see it, I, I'm only aware of it now because I'm actually on LinkedIn posting. And I can see even in their comments saying like, oh, the self-doubt and what should I do? And if somebody has this kind of, is trying to build their brand and they keep getting rejection after rejection, and it feels like it's a hard slog, what would you tell them in order to have this like, amazing self-worth and belief in their head that will actually impact their brain for positivity? So I would say there's there are a few things that you can do. And let's start maybe with using visualization as the way to go forward, because I know that a lot of people like to use visualization for goal setting. And it does work to some extent, of course, if you are actively setting that goal again and again. But in the scientific literature, what we can see is that there's a distinction between uh, goal-oriented visualization, so where you're visualizing yourself having this successful brand, how you're going to look, how you're going to feel, how you're going to walk, where you're going to be, the surroundings, maybe you have a new corner office or something like that. Um, that is actually not as effective as helping to help you get to that goal than process visualization which is where you're visualizing the process of, you know, the late nights that you're going to be working or sitting at your desk or talking to these investors, presenting your idea, I don't know, getting funding or, you know, actually putting in the work. So when you focus your attention on all the different steps that it takes for you to achieve your success, you are more likely to actually have success than if you're just to visualize yourself already being successful. Yeah, and I've I've read that in the, the scientific data as well. And it's actually why our manifestation box is set up to have both. So the see, hear, feel card is what is the end result? What do you see? What do you hear? But also like, what do you hear you're saying to yourself? Are you saying it's so hard? I'm so tired. This is terrible. Like, what are your thoughts in your mind? And what do you feel? The gratitude, the joy, the excitement. But the action is the process to get mm -hmm. there. And I, what I do every day is I visualize in the morning and at night for one minute, just the end result. Like, I can mm -hmm. see myself on a big stage. That's, that's where I see myself going, right? And doing huge manifestation workshops. But I also visualize my daily goals like so like I'll visualize, OK, the action steps that I need to take today is OK. OK, I need to update my corporate deck to, you know, I need to 
have a podcast with uh, Anne Sophie because that's building the brand around manifestation as well. So you have both. So what I find though from a lot of people, like visualization comes really naturally to me. Like I do it, like I said, when I wake up, I do it before I go to bed. If I'm walking to work, I visualize kind of me sitting at the desk, going through my my day. I am constantly visualizing when there's an opportunity to visualize. Mm-hmm. But I've heard people say like, I don't know how to visualize. Like, where do I start? What am I supposed to be looking at? Do you have any suggestions of like the best way to get somebody on a path of visualization? I would say the first thing is to remember that it is a skill that you can learn and that you can over time start to perfect. Not everyone is born with the ability to visualize in the first place. So there are whole populations of people who who cannot, you say, you know, imagine a pink elephant. It's just nothing, nothing, nothing happens. They they cannot draw a picture in their mind's eye. So those are people that immediately kind of fall out of that character. They, they, they have aphantasia. They still visualize when they dream, but they can't consciously choose to draw up an image in their mind. So one thing is that might be you, right? And And you have to know if if that is you because you're gonna have to find another way to to help you with your goal setting so maybe something that is actually like a a vision board might be more helpful because that is clearly there you can see it um that could help you but for people who can visualize but struggle it's a practice your brain is learning something new it's not something that you've been you know necessarily taught to do um so approach it the same way that you would approach, you know, learning meditation. It's not going to be easy at first. And the more you do it, the clearer the image becomes, the more that you're able to tune out everything else and focus on, you know, connecting with your senses. So seeing that image, smelling the environment, and touching things and communicating with people just in your mind. Um just stick with it, you know, start, start small, start for a few minutes, and then practice that over and over again. And you know, it doesn't even have to be goal setting, it can be a visualization, um, taking yourself on a on a walk outside, that's a really good one to do if you want to fall asleep. Um, Or if if you feel like you're not in a safe place right now, you've had an argument with someone or you're in a country that you you know, you don't know you miss home. You can use visualization to visualize your safe space. Uh, maybe it's your childhood bedroom. Maybe it's your grandma's house. Maybe it's just a really beautiful place where you had a beautiful memory and you can actually go back to that place. So maybe it helps to draw on something in real life, you know, a room that you actually know what it looks like instead of making up uh, a room in your mind. Um, that can help you. And the way that I started visualizing was just simply visualizing the room that I was in. So it started with the meditation, sitting in the room before you close your eyes, taking note of the things that are around you in your room. And then when you're closing your eyes, trying to remember them. And so that's a really great way that you can also start to build that skill of seeing something when your eyes are closed and then opening your eyes and looking at it again, noticing the color, uh, the quality of the light that's in the room, and then closing your eyes and trying to bring it back yeah, it's that's amazing. I like 
when I visualize, so I wanted to get a particular uh, speak at a particular wellness event, its biggest wellness event in in Ireland called Wellfest, and I was there in 2022. So what I do to help myself visualize is I put myself in the situations to help me then visualize what it's what it's going to be like. So I went to Wellfest. I mm-hmm. sat in the crowd in the tent that I wanted to speak at. I looked up at the speaker and I closed my eyes and I was like, someday I'm going to be on this stage. And then I started taking steps to to get there. And the following year, I was on the stage. But when I got to the point of where they said, we want you to speak at the event, I started visualizing what the tent would look like, how many people would be in the tent, what I was wearing. And it's funny because they told me, oh, maybe 80 people will show up. And I was like, but in my visualization, there's like 250, 300 people there. So because I had to give a manifestation pack to every person that showed up. And I was like, so they told me make 80 packs. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but like in my visualization, there's way more. And I believed it. And I believed it. And over 300 people showed Mm -hmm. up. We ran out of packs. And it was exactly how I looked like I thought I would be. Um, So do you believe like there's there's you know, like Michael Phelps, there's a story of him, like I think it was his eighth Olympics, and he used to practice with his coach the obstacles. And so his coach, what he would do, would he take off his goggles and he'd stand on them. And so then Phelps had to like swim with maybe no goggles or water in his goggles. And what effectively happened at the Olympics was that water got in the goggles and uh, he was able to overcome that challenge and eventually win. My challenge is this. I never, ever visualize the obstacles, even though I know science says you should show, like, visualize how you'd overcome them, because I believe our brains are so powerful that it will happen. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what happened to him. And I know I can't explain it, but anything that I've thought about at lengthy periods of time and now moms, like, because I know a lot of moms will listen to this. I'm not talking about you going into your kid's room and being like, oh, my God, imagine if they're kidnapped. Like the odd fleeting feeling of something happening to your child. I'm talking about consistent, negative, repeated thoughts in your head happening, which happened to Phelps. So do you what do you think about manifesting in the negative? That's really interesting. And I feel like. I feel like this kind of draws on our negativity bias. So in pop psychology, we like to throw around this ratio of you you need three positive things to happen to cancel out one negative event happening because of how strongly a negative Im- event imprints on you. You have a higher emotional reaction to it. Um, you remember it, therefore, a lot more vividly. And if you look back at evolution, they say that this is because we have to be, you know, prepared in case anything goes wrong, in case there's any dangers. Uh, we have to be able to learn from negative experiences. And they say that we're also, it's in our benefit to approach situations with caution rather than with optimism so that, you know, you can prepare for something to, to go wrong. And that you can, you know, overcome or that you're not taken advantage of, for example. So I feel like, I feel like it depends. Personally, I also don't visualize negative outcomes of something because for me, 
it feeds into that negative thought cycle, which is, you know, and we're talking about how I was in the past. That's a pathway that was really, really deep for me. So I want to do anything that I can avoid to get back into thinking about the negative outcomes. So for me, it helps to visualize the positive things, to be aware that there are things that might go wrong, to maybe take note of them, but not to visualize them happening, not to get too caught up in what I'm going to do if they do happen. Just being aware of them is enough for me. And I would say that there is no one size fits all. And you might want to just look at yourself and how you relate to your positive and negative thoughts to see if that's something that could be beneficial for you. If you, you know, need to prepare, if you need to be aware and you need to think through and it doesn't get in the way of your daily functioning and it doesn't get in the way of your ability to be present and to be positive the rest of the time, then, you know, go ahead. But if you are, if it's starting to get obsessive or if you are starting to find that, you know, you're just focusing on all the things that could go badly, then personally, I feel like you're not spending enough time actually being present with the reality of your world right now. Yeah. And I think that's, it's it's just such a good point. I think that the reality is, is like, what I love personally about manifestation is it's all about you. Like this is all about me and my thoughts and my feelings and my beliefs and what works for me. So to everyone out there, if they think, oh, well, Yvonne does a grateful, Yvonne does her affirmations, I'm going to do that. You have to think to yourself, hold on a second. Does this raise my vibration? Like, am I really happy to do this on a consistent basis? Like you talk about meditation. I don't meditate. And that's fine. Because that is not, at right now, where I am, my meditation or my practice is gratitude, affirmations, and visualization, and then exercise. And sometimes I might meditate, but my meditation could be one minute of my gratitude really feeling into into it. And I I read an article by a guy who talked about, he which you, you probably say he needs to meditate if, if this is the case, but he his brain is constantly going, 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 right? But for the time at which he does his grateful and writes his gratitude practice, he's it's still using his brain, but it's so focused on one thing that the other thoughts can go. So mm-hmm. that's his meditation practice. And we all have to remember, you might like yoga. I like boxing. You might like Pilates. I want to do a HIT training. We are all different and wired differently. So if you're going to figure out anything in this life, figure out what brings you joy, what makes you happy, and what you're actually going to do on a consistent basis. Because we know it's all about consistency. Yeah. And I, I think also the way that you approach positive affirmations and manifestation is that you have this unwavering belief in yourself to achieve something. So I can also imagine that if somebody is, you know, visualizing in the negative about the things that could go wrong and it's not, oh, it's a mistake that could happen that's outside of my control. It's It could go wrong because I am going to do something wrong or I'm going to make a mistake. Then are you really just fueling those little, you know, pieces of self-doubt that are going to get in the way that are getting in the way of you 
actually believing in yourself and you actually manifesting what you want for yourself because you're just focusing on like I'm definitely going to make a mistake so let me prepare for all these mistakes that I'm going to make yeah and you mentioned something I'm going to go back to something that you mentioned that I really want to talk about because it's coming up for me um sometimes I manifest um or I visualize before I go to sleep so like before I'm going to sleep I have like a really good I'm quite precious about my sleep to be honest because I do believe that if someone said, what is the number one thing that you think is kind of like important for manifestation other than your thoughts, feelings and beliefs, I would say sleep. And the reason why I say sleep is because if you don't get enough sleep, you're so cranky, your mood is down, you eat shit food because you're like, oh, you know, you want that sugar or whatever it is, you probably are going to miss out on your exercise. You're So like it just totally lowers that positive vibration. But for you, what actually happens like if we visualize before we sleep, because, you know, have you ever watched a scary movie before you've gone to bed and then you go to bed and you have nightmares? Is there some relationship there between our thoughts right before we go to sleep and how that impacts our brain? So can we use our sleep and our pre-sleep routine, which is like a visualization, to actually help us achieve our goals? Mm the information that you are focusing on or whatever it is that you consume right before you go to sleep is more likely to be consolidated in your memory while you're sleeping which is why i never argue before bed (laughs) i i mean first of all it would interrupt my sleep and my sleep is too precious to me but i I go to bed and I say three things that I'm grateful for out loud with my partner. And that is how we end the evening. Um, If I were to be working on a project or uh, a speaking engagement or something where I'd need to learn or memorize something, that is the information that I would take in right before going to sleep. And I would say another, another little tip, and this is, this is also uh, backed by neuroscience is that if you sleep with, um, essential oils or you have essential oils diffusing around the room natural ones um, before you go to sleep that also helps encode those memories so that actually helps you memorize those things while you're sleeping oh essential oils yes (laughs) like anyone like peppermint does it matter so the essential oils it's it's really any oil that that you like I use lavender because I've always used lavender to go to sleep and that works um, that was actually one of the ones that was tested in in the study. Um, but it's it's really about what you do right before you go to sleep. So taking in the information before you go to sleep, using some essential oils. And then I would also say it's what you do in the first, you know, few moments and hours that you wake up. So the way that you start your day, because also as you're coming out of your sleep phase, your brain is incredibly impressionable. So anything that you're taking in there is just getting soaked up like a sponge as well. So don't, so so your advice would be like, go to bed, visualize, or, you know, get off your phone. Don't be like in a fight or posting, you know, getting annoyed about some something that somebody says negative. But then when you wake up, leave the phone down, prep your brain for, you know, gratitude, affirmations, meditation, whatever it is, 
um, which is what I, I do as well, because your brain is more impressionable at that time. That's really, that's really interesting. I would say just do not even use social media first thing in the morning, because you're just taking in information from, you know, how everybody else is feeling information about how you should be feeling and you don't really have the chance to decide how you're going to feel that day or to decide you know how you're going to show up in the world today because you're just taking that from whoever is you know whoever you're following yeah and then I think one of the biggest problems as well on social media is that like you start to compare yourself oh they're doing so well or look how many followers they have and you just get yourself, look how many sales they're making. And you know that social media can make you look like like you're a totally different person living a totally different life because people put up what they want to put up on social media effectively. So, yeah. They, they absolutely do. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I gave up social media for a while. It was when uh, that whistleblower came out against Facebook where they had they'd shown all of the... I mean, extensive research that they have on just how bad social media is, especially Instagram and Facebook for the minds of teenagers, um, pushing them towards eating disorders and depression and low self-worth and, and all of those things, and yet decided to do absolutely nothing against it. Uh, yeah. And, you know, after I had so like uh, the baby had passed away and then I had another little girl named Penelope, but I had a very traumatic kind of afterbirth of having a C-section infection and I had a hemorrhage and um, just like in, in like a crazy kind of space. And plus that pregnancy, which kind of reminds me of the the, the essential oils you talk about, because there was a, a study done on mice pregnant mice and they gave them a, a, a scent so like a peppermint and when they gave them the scent in addition to that they would pair that scent with like an electric shock of some sort and when the baby came out once that baby smelled the that same smell but not have the electric shock they would have a stress response mm -hmm. and I thought that was really interesting that while I was pregnant could this translate to like my anxiety my fears and to the baby, right? So that's why it was so important for me that, look, I can't control the past. Like I had anxiety and I had anxiety during pregnancy because I had a loss before. So like, get over it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go back to my past and start getting annoyed with myself. But what I am gonna do is I'm gonna do gratitude and affirmations with my kids because I know, well, maybe I did pass down some stress and, and anxiety and, and anxiety to them do you think we can pass that down to our kids absolutely I mean I mean you absolutely can because you are connected to your child and it I mean stress itself is contagious right and and you don't even have to be connected like in the body mother and, and child it can be you know, you, you going into work and your boss is stressed, you can just feel it in the room. That stress is seeping out of his body in his sweat. And that sweat, then that stress and that cortisol can actually affect you and, and your, I mean, it's how we perceive, you know, the danger that's around us. It's this, you know, people say that we have these five senses, there's actually so many more. I mean, it's like maybe around 30 or, or something like that. But <clears throat> this innate knowing of 
what's happening around us that's you know that can all be explained by by the science and especially so when you're a mother carrying a child and and even um through the sperm of the father when you are conceiving that child so what they're eating what they're consuming and their state of mind can get passed on through the child as well and it's so interesting that you talk about the stress because if we even relay it back to corporates right and you've got and i know so many people that they go in and their boss they go into their boss's office and no matter what it's like life is so damn tough it's so stressful like if you if you take a law firm situation you know we're so busy we're so busy and then they're quiet oh god we're quiet we've got to mm. we've got to you know have more work or we've got to like luckily i always worked for amazing amazing guys um but like what would you say um, in, you know, like a lot in corporates, there's a lot of like ticking the boxes. Oh, yeah, we've got a wellness event. We've got this or that. But what would you say to corporates that are thinking like these law firms, accountancy firms, the big that have these high powered, stressful jobs? And the reality is there's not too much that you can do to take away from the hours of, of these stressful jobs. And that's just a reality. And I know that as from being a lawyer in a top law firm, because clients are demanding they want it and they want it now. So what would you suggest as part of like a corporate kind of wellness strategy to like give people tools to maybe just have, you know, like maybe not even less stress, but maybe to be able to even just deal with it better? And do you think that it have an impact on like their profitability and, and all of that? I mean... I, I, you know, wishful thinking here, but I, I believe that there, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe that there is a world where we don't have to be working, you know, 100 hours a week that people have to be stressed because the clients are so demanding. I, <clears throat> I really think that it starts with uh, the management team, that they should really be able to emulate wellness and and setting boundaries and taking care of themselves they're not even performing at the best of their abilities when they're not sleeping when they're stressed when they're not eating properly you know and that's the real shame so i feel like it is absolutely tied to productivity if you take care of yourself if you have good relationships with people outside of your work if you're setting boundaries if you are you know taking care of your body and your mind because you're more creative, you're more trusting of other people, the ideas are flowing, the way that you approach problems is completely different than when you're approaching things from this place of, you know, fight or flight and stress response. Um, but I feel like with these wellness programs, you do see it as kind of like box ticking in, in a lot of in a lot of places. Um, I spoke about this recently on, on my LinkedIn. And the responses that I got there were, I mean, there were so many people who were like, oh, what do you mean corporate wellness, you know, initiatives? <laughs> because I guess I'm also from a different generation, every, every, every place that I've applied to, and this is mostly startups. Um, they try and get you in by saying, look, you have therapy sessions, you have wellness sessions once a month, you have all of these initiatives um, showing that we care about you and we care about the environment. And even so, I've experienced very few places where those initiatives have actually been 
fruitful, I guess. It really has to come from a place of wanting the best for the employee, for the individual, and not seeing it as a means to, you know, greater productivity. Um, a lot of the time people frame it like, okay, well, if you teach your employees mindfulness, then they're going to be more productive and they're going to create better work from you and they're going to be able to handle a higher workload. The same thing with like resilience is to what extent do you want your workforce to be more resilient so that you can ask more of them versus actually changing the way that you approach things? And I think, yeah, it, it's it's going to be difficult to achieve that because one company can only do so much internally. They're still competing against a bunch of other companies that are playing the game that are, you know, pushing people um, to the brink. Um, personally, I am, you know, on this next chapter of my life where I'm focusing more on the neuroscience of mental resilience. And part of that is actually I've created a workshop for companies, particularly leadership teams and corporate companies to understand what mental resilience is, to test it in the beginning and then to go through a course. And this is not one session. This is over a few weeks um, to address different areas in the person's life where they can build resilience and show them the neuroscience of how they can actually build that resilience. And then we test it again in the end. And we also audit the company to show exactly where their downfall is and like what the things are that they can keep keep working on this is called rewire so aptly named it's such a good name it's such a good name and it should be a name for your podcast when that's going to start because i can't wait for more neuroscience based podcasts but i do agree with you i think it starts with the top the management team um, it's funny in law firms, I remember like, you know, you'd get very little sleep, especially if you're on a corporate transactional team like I was, like you could get four hours in a night. It definitely impacted my heart. I got, I had like effectively, it's called atrioventricular non-reentrant tachycardia. And that definitely stemmed from not taking care. You know, I was still, I still exercised every single morning because I was, that was really, really important to me. But having the exercise, lack of sleep and stress definitely impacted my health. But one thing that I would say is that I used to think, I think now looking back, God, imagine how amazing these equity partners or partners would be if they actually got more sleep. Imagine mm -hmm. how amazing these entrepreneurs who are like superstars and doing so well, imagine how even more amazing they would be if they got more sleep. Because I do think it's fundamental to like being creative and which is like ultimate when you're mm -hmm. when you're an entrepreneur. But I know when I went in in house, the new general counsel that I report to, um, he said to me, "Hey, I'm going on vacation on these dates. I'm going hiking. So like, basically, do not contact me unless it's urgent. You can send me a text message." And that was such a great signal to me that like, okay, well, if he if he's the top guy in here in, in the legal team and he can go on vacation and he can switch off, well, then he's telling me, when you go on vacation, I want you to switch off. You know, so it's just it actually starts there. And sometimes we know that like in these big corporates, people are going to work these insane hours. But like when they do go on vacation, mm -hmm. let them on vacation because that is just such a good time to recharge your brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of when I... Uh, was on vacation in the middle of the desert. It was a surprise vacation that my partner had booked for me. And 
on the day of my engagement, I was, you know, being hounded by email and text message and everything to jump on these calls. And I was thinking, you know, it's, it's five days, <laughs> please leave me alone for five days. And it really does start with the little things like getting emails out of office hours, you know, from, from your management team or from the CEOs. It's fine if they decide that that's how they want to work, but they should still signal um, by scheduling those emails for work hours. So, you know, I opened my laptop today, for example, and saw a message from like 1.45 a.m. And that's fine because they know that I'm not working at those hours. But, you know, just wait, you know, just wait until 8 a.m., 9 a.m. I absolutely agree with you there because I think the thing is, is that people, what people don't recognize is that sometimes, like me, for example, I'm a real, like, I need to respond. It's it's like in my DNA, like, I need to respond quickly. If you send me an email, like, I'll, I'll work on it. So if you send me an email, it is very likely that I'm going to respond. Mm -hmm. So we need to be mindful that if it's not urgent, schedule it. Yeah. Like because at that actually starts to consume the mind of the employee and then like you said they're yeah. going to bed, it's on their mind, they can't get themselves to sleep. So it's like these little things that you can do to just like oh yeah, I'm just getting it off my desk. Well, you're getting mm -hmm. it off your desk and you're putting it on the mind of the employee who's now thinking about how they're going to go research this particular legal topic or whatever it is yeah. or do XYZ and how they're going to prioritize it all because you just wanted to get it off your desk. So I think there's so much to be done there. And I definitely think visualization, neuroscience, manifestation, corporate goal setting is actually just going to be part of the strategic goals and wellness of lots of corporates going forward. But last two questions for you. Uh, who are you grateful for? I always say the same thing and I feel like I should change my answer I'm grateful for my dog uh Luna she was she was here just a few moments so ago cute. um that's always the person well the person the, the animal that I choose just because she's given me so much love and she's you know the reason that sometimes I get out of bed in the day because I you know I need to take her for a walk I need to take care of her and so she's taught me also how to take care of myself I'm always grateful for Luna. And second question, what are you manifesting or what is a goal for you? I am manifesting um, writing a book. Oh. So that's a goal that I have. Um, I'm currently in the stages of preparing something and pitching it out to, to people. But, um, you know, who knows how long it will take, but that's, that's on neuroscience is like a specific, can you tell me any more? Yes. So, so on, I would like to weave, I don't want to just have a scientific book, although, you know, probably will. Those are kind of the books that I, that I read the most, but I would like something that ties in, you know, my personal life and my personal experiences, the, the things that I've overcome and then the neuroscience behind the techniques that I've used to overcome them or just, some more insights into what's happening in the brain of, of someone, you know, when they're going through something really difficult. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna like I, a book is on my is on my list as well. But like I said, on my LinkedIn post, get the cover of the book, you've already started, go into your bookstore, put it on the top shelf, visualize it at number one. And 
you know, obviously take those steps, which it sounds like you're already doing um, to do. And I want to see a book come out about kids <laughs> and the mindset and manifestation and what parents can do. So that's another thing. And I just saw on LinkedIn that a, a neurosurgeon, James Doty, I think his name is, um, he's got a book called Manifestation and Neuroscientist, and that's coming out in May. So like, I just think this is such a great space to be in. And Sophie, like we're, your neuroscience is just going to get bigger and bigger. And people are starting to like Huberman has made it cooler and cooler. And same with Dr. Tara Swart. So mm -hmm. I guarantee you will be back on this podcast and I cannot wait for your book. I cannot <laughs> wait for your podcast. And where can everybody find you right now? Where are the best places to find you? Thank you. Um, I am really focusing my attention on LinkedIn at the moment. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Anne-Sophie Fleury with an I-F-L-U-R-I. -I. And a brain um, emoji. Yeah, yes, a brain <laughs> emoji. I'm going to get back on, get back on um, Instagram shortly, but you know, in due course. I I can't change my username on there. Oh, you can't change your username? Why no, not? My username is like a little bit, you know, <laughs> unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, tell us, what is it? What are you on Instagram? You can cut this out if it's not, you know, to the tone of- <laughs> No, it's all to the listeners. tone. People want to know. <laughs> all right, on Instagram, you can find me at Coochie by Gucci. <laughs> And this just goes to show as well. <laughs> Guys, have a bit of personality. You know, it's okay to, like, maybe that's not what you want the name to be now, but, like, back then, that was your vibe. And so what? You know what? Like, let's all remember that the more authentic you are, the more, I call it the universe, whatever, God, your angels, your higher self, you yourself, whatever you want to call it, will bring to you. We've just got mm -hmm. to be a bit more authentic and stop giving a shit what other people think. So coochie by Gucci. I, I agree. It's, <laughs> I've, I've had to stop giving a shit because, because of, um, you know, the situations that I've been in when I've told people my username. But remember but this, remember this, you started this podcast and you said you went to the monks and we are, we are born alone and we die alone. And that is just the best saying to think to yourself when you want to go and achieve something or do something or you're scared or you have fear. Nobody cares what you're doing. You are here to figure it out for yourself. This is your life. It's not a practice life. So let's go and do it. And let's just be ourselves at the same time because you will actually realize that the more you are true and authentic to yourself, the more people that are like-minded start to, the more of a community you build mm -hmm. around it. And I will say um, it was based off of an, this this username based off of an inside joke that I had with an, an ex-partner's brother who's now sadly passed. So mm -hmm. I remember it, you know, dearly. It's kind of a tribute to him. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's always a story behind these things. Well, I'm going to find you now. <laughs> I'm going to find you. You better be in your stories today. I love the stories right. on Instagram. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, get on my LinkedIn page because there's some people that have asked you questions and you're going to need to let them know what the oh, neuroscience yeah. is behind <laughs> it. And thank you so much for joining. I guarantee there's going to be another one of these, especially when your book comes out. Thank you. And what I'll say is that anybody who comments on Yvonne's post, um, 
even if this comes out in the future, I will be monitoring that post and I'll get back to, to every single yeah, person. Yeah, this one will be out probably in in February in a few in a few weeks. In a few weeks, but I'm so excited. I'm so excited for people I'm to I'm really hear it. excited. Thank so you thank so much you. for having me. Yeah, thank you. Bye. 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 Back to Bye. work we go. <laughs>